You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome everybody to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon. I'm a pastoral resident here at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined again with uh, Ryan Chase, who is a pastor and elder at Emmaus Road, and we're going to start. Um, we, we finished up recently our kind of rotation going through the shaping virtues from the Sovereign Grace uh, Journal. Um, I think it's helpful as kind of a rhythm to kind of go through more of a theological um, category on, on a regular basis. So today we are going to introduce, um, however however long this takes us, uh, introduce going through the statement of faith, the sovereign grace statement of faith. Um, the statement of faith is a document uh, that was written over a number of years, uh, I think six or seven years mm-hmm. um, when from when the, the theology committee was first organized, uh, uh, headed by Jeff Perswell, dean of the Pastors College, a dear friend of mine, and yeah. I know you as well. Um, yeah, b- brilliant mind. Yes. Um, Gifted pastor, pastor, yeah, theologian, yeah, and the, a pastor theologian is just a unique. You know, he's not just a, a big head, right. on a stick, right. Um, he, he loves people, he yeah. cares for people pastorally, and and you know sees theology as rightly aimed at the worship of God and right. application to people. Yeah. And if you spend ninety seconds with him, you will oh my. feel that effect yeah. from him. He is just he and his wife Julie are just some of the dearest people on earth. Anyway, so he spearheaded this effort. Um, he led the theology committee that was made up of various pastors from around Sovereign Grace to come up with a statement of faith for the or to the end of becoming, um, so kind of a brief history of Sovereign Grace um, and where we came from. Our, our history kind of goes back into the, um, the 70s uh, with the Jesus movement that was happening around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of the Jesus movement came guys like C.J. Mahaney, um, Bob Coughlin, uh, some of these men that are still around, that still are in leadership at in Sovereign Grace churches. Um, and they began to form these churches with the vision of Churches that plant churches that plant churches yes. to, to see the gospel spread through the local church, through church planting. Um, and then over the next 40 years, that really was that. But the mm-hmm. thing that really held these churches together um, was a relational, that church, when you, you know, when you plant a church, you know, we, we call those sister churches, mother, daughter churches, you know, these, this familial language is used when you do that because there's we know you and you know us and we're sending people with you. So Sovereign Grace really was, we called it a family of churches, mm-hmm. a language we still use today, yep. but really was all it was, was just a group of churches with um, affection and care for one another. That, affinity. That's right. Um, but nothing formal, no, nothing real. I mean, really formal, mm-hmm. nothing binding and really the word, nothing confessionally binding us together. What is it that makes us, us, um, mm-hmm especially in our confession, what we believe about the Bible. Um, so, mm-hmm. the, and, and there was a, 
statement of faith, you know, of sorts. Yeah. Um, but more, you know, basic just to outline orthodox, you know, faithful to scripture. And that's common for a lot of organizations to have kind of a a general, we believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe that, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God, that that, those kinds of things. But nothing really distinctive, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we had our seven shared values, Mm -hmm. um, but like you said, you know, a lot, a lot of people have those quote unquote distinctive, but built into the confessional nature, the thing that binds us together. So um, I think around 2012-ish is when this committee first gathered and first began to do the long legwork. And then finally, this statement of faith, the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith was passed um, by vote of the Council of Elders uh, November 10th, 2020. You just knew that off the top of your head? I did. That's incredible. I, I was... The delegate from our church mm. at that Council of Elders meeting happened during the pandemic. Yeah, so via we, Zoom. We met on Zoom. Oh. I, I believe it was blizzarding here in Sioux Falls. <laughs> that makes sense. Because I remember sitting on a Zoom meeting all day for the Council of Elders mm. meeting. And there were updates from um, guys like Eric Terbetsky in beautiful, sunny, <laughs> orange California. Um and Dave Taylor in Sydney, Australia, yeah. as they're like going into their summertime. And well, I, <laughs> and I'm looking up my window <laughs> thinking we could have been in Orlando, Florida right yeah. now in person and, and we're on Zoom and it's there's a blizzard here. Well, you had said, actually, I was in South Carolina at the time, obviously, and you had sent me the link. I don't, I don't really even know why. Mm. I think this speaks to some of our my history of just yeah. like always wanting to be around Sovereign Grace. Um, you had sent me the link. I remember sitting in my living room watching the vote really um, in South, in South Carolina. I forgot my, about that. It was in our living room. I, Jamie could speak to it too. She was, I remember she was making dinner. It was just, yeah. it was that time of the day. And, um, and I remember sitting on my couch watching this and this, I just distinctly remember the celebration. Yeah. Awkwardly breaking out via Zoom because everyone yeah. starts clapping and then it just like starts cycling <laughs> the people. Um, so anyway, that took place then. And then in, so that vote is when it officially became the confessional statement of sovereign grace. But a year later at the conference in 2021, I was at the pastor's college mm-hmm. at the time um, and was a, a visiting watching of the delegation of the council of elders. Um, and it really was, we're gathered together again, let's celebrate. Yeah. And so to celebrate in person, the passing of this statement of faith was, mm. um, I think it just speaks to the, um, the joy and the, the affection that we have for one another that, that now we have something tangible something mm-hmm. not, again like you said there's it's, it's not like this is the first time this has ever happened in the history there was st- other statements of faith so then other but yeah. and some this, great ones coupled with the book of church order coupled with kind of our confessional statement and document set up the structure mm-hmm. that really makes a sovereign grace uh you know a, a more recognizable word a denomination yep. not just a family of churches but a denomination this isn't just a church planting network now mm-hmm. this is a, a, a real denomination. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate, uh, um, Carl Truman, who's a, uh, you know, he's, he's great. Carl Truman, uh, famously said on a panel once at the T4G together for the gospel, I think it was in 2012. Um, he had been critical about T4G as Truman is wont to do. <laughs> he, he had been critical, uh, about the parachurch stuff. Um, which was at its height, right, in 2012. So CJ, actually, who's a friend of 
Carl Truman, asked him to come and sit on the panel with all these pastors in front of the T4G and basically tell us why you don't like us <laughs> uh, in a very joyous way. But he was honestly saying, we want your feedback. And Truman on that panel, I remember him saying, I love, this is, I'm uh, joyfully surprised at how warm everybody is and blah, 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 blah. But then he said, but I really do stick to my conviction here because denominations mean somebody somewhere believes something. Mm. And then full denomination is a expression of here's what we believe by, by, by God's grace. Here's what so we people believe. united around right. that shared belief, right? So unity in, in faith. Yeah. Becoming a denomination, uh, formally is not our aim to just be den- not our goal towards denominationalism of just wanting to be a denomination for the sake of being for any sort of credibility or right. what have you, but rather it really is a protection. It's saying, this body of churches believes this. We believe Um, something. So maybe, Ryan, as the um, chair of our ordination committee, which really is, I mean, at the center of our ordination standard and process now is this statement of faith. Mm -hmm. Having, excuse me, having just walked through it, it is the guiding principle. Yeah. It's what our written theology exam is based on. All all of the questions are revolving around specific points of doctrine and, and theology that are, covered in our statement of faith and, and testing, you know, if, if a guy can articulate that, defend that, explain that. Yeah. So maybe as the chair of the ordination committee for our region, could you walk us through a little bit of how, and you don't have to go into the ordination process, but how does the statement of faith function for Emmaus Road Church? And I'm saying it again, functionally, like what, how does it, what good does this do for us? Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, um, you know, it, as far as ordination goes, all of our pastors, elders, uh, sign a statement of affirmation that, mm. that we believe this, that we hold to this and the specific wording, um, you know, when you get to the end of the ordination process, the statement that you, you just signed last yeah. week, it says this, I declare sincerely before God that I believe that all the articles and points of doctrine contained in the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith fully agree with the Scriptures, and I own that statement as the statement and confession of my faith. Yes. These are doctrines I promise to teach and defend in public and in private. I promise further that if in the future I come to have reservations about any of these doctrines, I will share these reservations with my eldership and the Regional Assembly of Elders. So what we're stating is... You know, and I think these are important questions to clarify for people. Why do we need a statement of faith if we have the Bible? Right, that's um, a good question. Yeah. And so, specifically, what we're affirming is that this this statement of faith agrees with the Scriptures and is a a faithful articulation of what the Scriptures teach. And so, Scripture and Scripture alone is our authority. But when we read the Bible, we have to interpret it. We have to determine what does that mean and what does it not mean. Right. And anytime you're interpreting and applying scripture, because we're, we're not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, you have to say something. Um, and so, it, it, you know, maybe backing up, there are streams of tradition, um, ironically, that have strong objections against the idea of tradition or <laughs> confessions yeah. or creeds. And so a, a popular slogan that has been used, maybe people have heard this, is the statement something like, no creed but Christ, right. no book but the Bible, no law but love. No creed but Christ, 
no book but the Bible, no law but love. That sounds really catchy too. Like it's a bunch of alliteration. Well, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, it's easy to remember. That's yeah. why it's stuck in my mind. Um, and and it it sounds great. Like yeah, I, I want to be about Jesus, totally. not about creeds and confessions. Right. I want to be about the Bible, not man-made books. I want to be about the inspired Word of God. Um, and, and I don't want to be about legalism and and laws and and rules, especially man-made traditions. I want to be about loving people. So that, that sounds really good. The problem with it is, um, if you take that to its logical conclusion, then you shouldn't actually even preach the Bible right. because then you're, you're going beyond the Bible. Like as soon as you get up and start to preach, this is what the Bible says. Here's what it means. Here's how it applies to your life. Here's how it, you know, shapes, uh, your hopes and your, your behavior and all of that. Now you're, you're saying something outside of the Bible. Like what you should do, if you really believe that is just read the Bible right, and then close it and move on. Right. You can't say anything. You can't, uh, write a devotional based on it because right. now you, you're, you're adding something to that. Um, so, you know, our understanding of creeds and confessions is every generation has to articulate what they understand the Bible to mean. And th- this has been helpful to me. Every false teacher, going back to the false teachers that were uh, in the that we see in the early church that are addressed in a lot of the epistles, they're dealing with false teachings that are arising. The false teachers always are appealing to Scripture. Right. So they could say that too. No book but the Bible. False teaching usually gets its traction because it's quoting Scripture. It's grounded mm. in the Bible. The problem yeah. is... They're misinterpreting, misapplying the Bible. They're making statements that, you know, the Bible says this and it, it means this. And some, somebody else has to step up and confront that. So when Paul is teaching pastors, he says, you, you have to be able to silence false teachers. You have to do it with gentleness and, yeah. and with respect, but silence those people by showing them, no, th- this is the uh, tradition that we have received. And so right. Paul himself throughout the New Testament uses words like tradition yeah. to say, this is what I received. This is what I passed on to you. This is what you received from me. This is what you're supposed to pass on to others. So even our word tradition comes from the Latin word. I think it's traditio, which comes from a, a Greek word that that just means to pass something on. Right. And so a great distinction has has been for me. You know, traditionalism. There 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 is an appropriate um, concern about like dead formalism, dead tradition. And usually that's what people are reacting against. Like they've seen a church that is spiritually dead, but it's got all the creeds and confessions. And they think the problem is the creeds and confessions, not the spiritual deadness of the hearts. And and so traditionalism is living people gathering around dead faith. But tradition is receiving living faith, passing that on from those who are now dead. So there are past generations who have, have been faithful. They preserved this. They kept this. They wrote about it. They, they wrote down what they believed. They passed it on to the next generation. They passed away. And the next generation receives that. And it's living faith that's been passed on. You think of like our living faith comes from the influence of parents and pastors and those who went before us and their living faith, which somebody sowed into them because they had living faith. And so that's what's at the core of this is not just dead formalism, but living faith. And each generation has to be able to articulate clearly, this is what we believe the scriptures teach and mean and say. Right. And our aim is not another danger, not just of of dead traditionalism or dead faith, but um, also we're also not trying to seek um, denominationalism in the sense of uh, unity overall, right. right? Like, no, it's just an allegiance to these people. Um, 
that that we're also trying to guard that's against helpful yep. that the, the 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 scriptures are the living and active thing right mm-hmm. there the bible the word of god is the thing that is binding us together and the word came to us not in a creed and confession yeah. right god gave us a story he gave us a book yeah. that is almost the majority of which is narrative with poetry and expository literature and mm-hmm. it comes to us in different genres and it comes to us in different languages right yeah. that's part of the it's in i i don't speak hebrew i can translate greek um but and, and this is what i was telling you before we turn on the mic uh, my greek professor or my greek teacher at um at the pastor's college which he was uh, he was excellent but he kept just saying to us is translation equals interpretation yeah. if you're translating something from one language to another you are going to make interpretive decisions yep. you can't just take the words on on the in the greek look them up in a lexicon and just start like a like a code like code um it it is a you, you have to translate it and then you're going to make interpretation so it you know going back to what you were saying earlier if we were just no 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 book but the bible okay but in what translation what what language yeah and it, it, it you must just only read the greek and you have to just no, the Bible is meant to be applied. It's, yeah. it's a story that's meant to yeah. be translated to it's our... It's got to be received and exactly, understood and believed. And received throughout time. Right. So every generation, what, what a creed is, is a synthesis, if yep. you will, a, a systematizing and organizing of all that the Bible teaches into headings, right? So right. our statement of faith comes to us in, was it four, uh, 13 sections, things like, the scriptures and the triune God and God's sovereign purposes and uh, creation, providence, man, the person of Jesus Christ, the saving works of Jesus Christ, yeah. right? These are the quote unquote headings, which are mirrored a lot with like systematic theologies. Yep. If you were to open up a systematic theology like Grudem or Bavink or or uh, John Frames, you would find similar headings. What these men are seeking to do is just take all that the Bible teaches and organize it under headings. So the Bible seems to talk a lot about God. <laughs> so let's go and take all the data that is out there in the Bible and synthesize it and then make some conclusions. Yes. What our statement of faith seeks to do is to do that, but confessionally. And that's the, that's the word we keep coming back to because that's the right word. Mm-hmm. To confess just means to say, to say with. Uh, to yep. speak with. So right. if, if, it, if this systematic theology is, we're, we're not, they didn't write a systematics book. Mm-hmm. They, they sought to write a confession, mm-hmm. a statement that mm-hmm. said, here's what we affirm. Here's what we believe. And, you know, if, if, especially, I think the regular one has it too. Let me double check. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Yes. Um, the state, almost every sentence in the statement yeah. is footnoted with multiple scriptures. And that's the point, is we are not untethering ourselves from the Bible. In fact, we are anchoring ourselves in the Bible and saying, here's what we believe is a faithful summation. Understanding of what scripture teaches. Right. And so, as, as, as elders now, we say, we confess. Yes, that's what we believe. That's what... And essentially, it's what helps us define our quote unquote family. Now, there is orthodoxy, which is just general... Uh, Catholicity of general Christian, yeah. Christian of the church, big C. Yep. But for our local church, um, we hold ourselves to this statement. It kind of like defines the table mm-hmm. in, in a sense. So you can have an extended family and all still share the same name. But this 
little expression, this little local yeah. church, this is the, the, the meal that we gather around is defined by these things. Right. Yeah. That, that's a great point that, you know, in those footnotes, the connection to scripture, it, it shows it's clearly rooted, grounded, anchored in scripture. Um, and that's an important part of our understanding of creeds and confessions. Yeah. They, it's not, um, like twin sources of revelation. And, mm. and that, this is one of the big debates coming out of the reformation. Um, scripture, alone, sola scriptura. Yeah, so as Protestants, you know, we, we do believe in the authority of scripture alone, um, which is often contrasted with the Roman Catholic um, priority on tradition, right. tradition and scripture. Um, so we don't see tradition or in this case, our confession as like standing next to the Bible yeah. or alongside of the Bible as our authority, but it is underneath that it's it's anchored and, and grounded it's in that formed as, by it yes yeah. and so as you pointed out even the word confession to say with what we are just we are saying this is what we believe the bible means and teaches which everybody has to do so when you read the bible people say well the bible says this and you you have some summary you're doing theology you're you're uh interpreting and applying scripture so yeah as an articulation of what we believe the bible says um the Bible is our highest authority. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, maybe another uh, crucial point to us, and I know this informed the theology committee in their process of working on drafting this and revising this. Um, it, it's our conviction that the aim of theology is not just to um, have big heads full of lots of facts about God. To know right things. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. But, but to have truth about God that, that we do know it does come in, you know, propositions and statements about God, but that's supposed to affect our hearts. Yeah. It's supposed to cause like the Emmaus road story, those disciples who comment to each other after Jesus walks with them and opens the Bible. And they say, didn't our hearts yeah. burn within us as we walked with him on the road and he opened to us the scriptures. That's the effect of theology, we would say doxology right. is, is the aim. Right thinking about God leads to right feeling about God. And there's no way that in that Emmaus Road story, Jesus just opened the book and just read he it. read it, yeah. He, he read it and explained he, to them how all of the scriptures yes. were talking about him. The that, scriptures that they knew, right. and they would have said that they believed, but they misunderstood. Right. And, and so he's correcting their interpretation, their misunderstanding, their blind spots. And it's that, it's when scripture is unpacked for them like that, yeah. that their hearts burn. And we, right. we call it. that impassioned orthodoxy. The confession is leading to doxology. Yes. Confession, right thinking, orthodoxy is in leading to impassioned yes. emotional engagement. It, it affects our affections. It gets down into our bones. Yeah. And, and so much so that they can say something like, didn't our hearts burn within us? Yeah. What powerful and, language. And I think, you know, you and I would say when you go read a confession, like the Belgic confession, yeah. um, and you know, some of the history around it, how it was written, what it cost those men. Yes. Um, the, the stakes were so high. So it's actually, you know, it was delivered with a letter saying we, we will offer our backs to the whips and our tongues to the knives before we will deny right. this. Because uh, it's because for them, that confession was such an accurate depiction of, or an accurate synthesis and summation yeah. confession of the Bible that to deny our confession is equal and tantamount to denying Christ and his, and, and yeah. denying the word. Yeah. So it, it is, you know, the Belgic confession is, is beautiful. Yes. R really. Um, a lot of those historic reformed confessions are, there is a, a beauty to them. And I just appreciate that our theology committee that worked on this 
had in mind, um, not just trying to write like a very academic, stale, dusty, right. um, formal statement, because you know that that that's a legitimate concern. Right. Y- y- think about how we all skip like the terms and conditions thing. Every time you get like the terms have been updated and you check the box that says, tell me I have read and agree to, to yeah. the terms. Like none of us have read and no. agreed to, but we just check the box that says I have read and agree to these terms. Right. But like, imagine how boring it is to read those terms and conditions. It just mm. put you to sleep, like all the legal jargon and whatever. So it- it's possible to imagine a confession of faith that's, just about as exciting to read as those terms and conditions, like just jargon and just, you know, um, dead, but, but to have a a statement of faith that has in mind, um, it first it's written from men with their hearts and their minds full of affection for God. They, They love God. They love his word. They love his people, his church. Um, and their aim in writing it is these truths about God revealed in scripture should cause all of us to, to burn with passion for yes. God should cause us to worship, should cause us to break out, you know, reading a confession and confessing this is, this is what we believe. This should lead us to song, to rejoicing, to celebration, to confidence in, in God's world because what glorious truths. And so that's one of the things I love about our statement of faith, that it, it is worshipful yeah. and it stirs our hearts as we read it. As someone who just <laughs> spent a lot of time in the statement of faith going through the ordination standards, um, I can attest to that. My, my faith was built up. My heart was stirred. And, and I, granted, I was studying it to, um, to pass tests and write papers. But when it's so beautifully written and so faithfully executed, um, it's a joy yeah. to spend time in it. Yeah. And to, because I can confess it. I really can. I can agree with it and say, yes, this is mine. This, I, I want this. You know, may I give my back to stripes and, and t- tongues to the knives before denying this. Yeah. Like this. And so it is a, just like the Belgic was for those men in Belgium, uh, writing to the king of, of Belgium. Um, it really is, uh, this is not, we, I didn't sign that paper last week or whenever it was lightly. Right. Um, we, we do confess this. This mm-hmm. is our... Uh, we we give ourselves to the protection of this thing, just as we give ourselves to the protection of God's word, because yep. this is just a, an interpretation for our generation, for our family of churches, yeah. an expression of the word itself. Yeah, I think maybe one more thing to um, clarify in this introduction to our our statement of faith is that. Um, the way this works is as elders and pastors, we sign a statement of affirmation. Oh, yeah, this is helpful. Uh, yeah. Members of our church don't sign that. Right. You know, our, our membership agreement, though, when people become members of Emmaus Road Church, we have a, a membership covenant. Um, and it, it does state that people are committing to not be divisive, that kind of thing. But, but, we don't require members to sign off on this. And we realize that people might be in process and along a spectrum of various, their thoughts and convictions on various things, but the membership agreement, you know, every member is recognizing that they they realize we believe these things Mm -hmm. and and we are going to teach and preach from this perspective. So, you know, don't be surprised if this informs what we teach and preach, because that's what we have committed ourselves to, to, um, teaching this, to defending these doctrines, to, to standing firmly on this in public and in private. 
um, so, so I think that's helpful too. If people are wondering, well, you know, I, I haven't really studied that or I don't know what I think about that yet. We're, we're going to point to this, um, as a faithful representation yeah. of what God's word teaches and, and, um, a confession of what we personally believe. So we're going to, we're going to promote this and in coming episodes, we're going to walk through the specific parts of our, conf- our confession, our statement of faith, um, and talk about those things. But I just think that's helpful distinction. Mm-hmm. If people are thinking, did I, did I sign off on that? <laughs> do I, <laughs> do I know what I got myself? Did I yeah. sign one of those terms and conditions things without reading it? <laughs> I think I that can be, that can be helpful. But, but at the same time, I would say, you know, we want everybody in our church to be moving toward understanding this, owning this, being convinced that this is, this is what yes. God's word says and what it means and what it teaches. And, and that it is a, a these are glorious truths. That's so that good. inform our, our lives. So this is a sweet document that we are eager to walk through. I think it's, uh, it's such a faithful distillation of the biblical confession. Um, and I'm eager to walk through it. And, uh, I know I'm always edified in my time in it. And, uh, yeah. So I think that serves as a, a good introduction. And then next time we will dive into the first topic, which is the scriptures, the scriptures, which is the only place to start. Right. So, Excellent. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.